You're listening to Strictly Business Podcast with Lindsay Williams. The following interview is from the Newscape archives and was recorded at FMR 101.3 FM in Cape Town. I went for a walk on Sunday morning and I ended up at the top of Table Mountain. I didn't intend to, but it took me an hour and a half to get up there and around about an hour and three quarters to get back and I felt as though I'd achieved something. But when I got back and I opened my Sunday Times exhausted and read an article about a chap called Tim Harris, I didn't feel as though I'd achieved anything. Tim Harris was born in Cape Town uh, but grew up in Durban where he attended Hilton College. He completed a Bachelor of Arts majoring in English Literature and Economics and at the University of Cape Town and then an honours degree in economics. After a period of working at an investment bank in Joburg, he returned to Cape Town to complete his Masters in Economics. And that's not unusual, but now he's the Shadow Minister for Trade and Industry in South Africa. It's Tim Harris. He's in the studio with me. Tim, you're 31. You must be the youngest politician in the country. No, I'm actually the third youngest in the DA and I think the fifth or sixth youngest in Parliament. The, I have two colleagues in the DA, uh, Lindiwe Mazubuko from Durban, uh, the national spokesperson, and then Masizole Mkasela, uh, who's our deputy shadow minister on home affairs, and both of them are in their 20s, so I'm almost a veteran. So why did you move from investment banking to politics? Politics. I mean, I suppose the lure of five-star hotels in um, Pretoria when you're a minister at the expense of the taxpayer must have been something to do with it. Unfortunately, it wasn't that direct a move. I, I, I was working in investment banking in Joburg and decided that I wanted to get more into the economic policy space. At that stage, I was thinking perhaps a, a private sector economist. Uh, and so I came back to UCT and it was while I was at the School of Economics that I got uh, approached to help out with the, with the party economic policy and ended up in politics that way. When did you leave investment banking? Was it during the financial recession that has just passed us by? No, no. I, was, I, I, worked in, I left at the end of 2002 and began my master's in 2003. Okay. You've just seen what's happened in the world and you're probably looking at what's happening now in Ireland and in America with hedge funds being investigated and with all sorts of other things going on in the world. QE2, for example, quantitative easing. What do you think about that? I mean, you've gone from the buy side, if you like, to the sell side as a politician. The one thing about politics is that, uh, in my opinion, it's it's the most meaningful space that you you can be involved in. If 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 democracy doesn't work in South Africa, then nothing else works. It's it's really it's the fundamentals of our society is built on politics, like it or not. So what I what I do f- obviously there's a there's perhaps a financial trade off. Um, I th- my friends certainly who remained at the bank are, are doing better despite these these uh, challenges that have been faced by the sector recently. But there's to me there's no trade-off in terms of of meaning in terms of um, the amount of difference I can make on a daily basis. Uh, certainly, what Helen Ziller is trying to do in politics today and what some of the my young colleagues in the DA are trying to do it gets me out of bed in the morning and I feel like it's about the most important thing that 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 that, that should be happening in South Africa today so you traded potential riches for the benefit of the country is that what you're saying well for my own benefit my own my own sense of meaning my own sense of being able to make a difference yeah that's I, I guess in one way I traded that yes and I'm happy about it 
Is there a new breed of politicians like yourself uh, coming through the ranks, not just in the DA, but also the ANC? Because personally, I'm sick of waking up every Sunday morning after my walk up Table Mountain and picking up the Independent, picking up the Sunday Times, seeing stories of corruption and seeing stories of ex-so-called struggle sons and daughters and even those that were involved in the struggle being in power and abusing that power and I, I think a lot of other people are sick of that as well when are the new breed like yourselves going to come to the fore i think somebody like barack obama was extremely inspiring in terms of the way he could bring young american voters out and i think inspired young voters around the world to to the idea that politics could be relevant to them and in her own way, Helen Ziller has done a similar thing in South Africa. I think there was a sea change in last year's election relative to the elections, certainly that I worked on before that, where we had millions of, young, of new young voters registering. And I certainly feel that Helen had an instructive role to play in that. She was a leader who young people thought was inspiring, who, who young mm. people thought that they would get out of bed to go and vote for her, perhaps. Um, so I think a, a lot of the, a lot of the, the resurgent interest from young voters is linked to leadership, particularly of, of internationally of Barack Obama and then locally of Helen Ziller, and I think it, it also has translated, especially on the DA side, to a resurgence of interest in representative politics. We we certainly have a whole host of young people from across South Africa, different backgrounds, different race groups, who are interested in getting involved in politics, um, and over the next few years, you'll see them start representing the DA at various levels. Right, let's talk about those young colleagues of yours. I mean, are they black? That's the important thing, of course, here. You are educated from a very privileged... Not, you're not from a privileged background, I'm not saying that, but the school that you went to is associated with privilege. But what about the people that are your colleagues? Are they coming from different backgrounds? Are they representing different race groups? And are they representing uh, the, the DA in a different way to the, the DA has been represented in the past if you see what I mean. I think so. Yeah. I mean as I as I explained, out of the three MPs that were elected for the DA under thirty, there were uh two of them were one was Zulu, one was Koza and one is me. Yeah. So certainly the, the the younger ranks of the of the DA and the DA caucus are look different. Um that's a positive step. Also Helen has put in place a program to to cast the net wide across South Africa to say, if you're interested in politics, if you're a young person, we're prepared to invest time, energy and money into you to turn you in, into a p potential leader of this country. She's been running that program for four years. I certainly believe that it's the most inspiring group of people that I ever sit down with every year. Um, I mean, th this year we have an incredible intake. It's, uh, it's a total... A diverse mix of, of, of young people. They're all extremely passionate, extremely competent, and importantly, they're staying involved with the party after their, their, their one-year program. Yeah. So what that, what that says really is that f for the DA to change, we need to grow our own timber, and that's not going to happen overnight. We need to put in a, a medium to long-term plan to invest in leadership, diverse leadership, and Helen's put that into place, and, and it's already starting to pay off, but certainly over the medium to long-term those young people are going to be the leaders of the DA tomorrow and then the leaders of the country after that. I see the public sector workers striking and they're striking not because of their dissatisfaction with leadership at the municipal level or at the uh, national level. They're just unhappy with their wages. Mm. And I don't see that sort of thing happening as it would do in Europe, for example. 
with a dissatisfaction with the way that the national government is behaving. For example, in Ireland at the moment, there is a call now for a national election, a general election. But if there is any dissatisfaction in this country, it doesn't manifest itself against the ANC. They vote with their feet against wage increases. They want 8% rather than 6%. When are we going to get people standing up and saying, we don't want the ANC in power anymore, let's do something about it, let's have an election? I can't see it happening. Well, firstly, I, I think that the vast majority of protests that do happen in this country are about service delivery, especially over the last few months. I mean, you, you, were, you were correct about the public, serv- uh, public service wage strikes, uh, which speaks to, in my opinion, the, the, the political power of unions in South Africa. But follow, w- once those died down, you, you found an, a, a repeated or a, another upsurgence of service delivery protests where people are saying, we're not happy with the way the ANC is governing South Africa. Now, the problem is, historically, South African voters haven't translated that dis- dissatisfaction into a vote against the ANC. Some of them have stayed away from the polls, but traditionally they haven't shifted allegiance from the ANC. However, I think that is going to change. I think the next generation of South Africans won't have that struggle link, if you want to call it that. I think at the same time, if the DA's leadership is changing and reflecting a more diverse cross-section of of South Africa, then we're going to start being able to realize um, some some of those votes. And if you back that up with the with the value proposition of the DA, which has shifted from five years ago, where it was the DA is a strong opposition in Parliament, to now where it's the DA is a better government for your city or perhaps for your province, it's a much more positive value proposition. We're still a strong opposition in Parliament, but now increasingly across the country, people are saying, actually, the DA is a better government too. Throw all those factors into the mix, and I'm extremely positive about us actually achieving what's never been achieved in South Africa, in, in Africa before, which is a balance in politics, an actual choice where voters will, will, will reject a government that's failing in favor of a party that they think can govern better. Do you really believe that? I mean, I I see 50,000 students in the United Kingdom, for example, voting against. I mean, there was a violent protest, but um, the majority of those people were voting against the Tory and Liberal Party cuts at university. And they were saying it wasn't university cuts they were protesting against. It was a political uh, movement. That was, we don't want the Tories in power. We want the Labour Party back in power. We don't see that in this country. We don't see when we see people in the streets with with their banners. We don't say, vote DA. We don't see that. Well, increasingly they are saying that. I think, you know, these things only can only get tested at, at an election time. And I think next year we're going to see a big shift towards the DA on the strength of that governance message. And importantly, it's a positive message. It's not saying we want to stand up against the ANC in Parliament, although obviously that's a crucial part of what we do and it's actually what I spend most of my time doing. But importantly, it's a positive message saying... We think the DA is a party that can make our lives better because they've done it in Cape Town and because they're busy doing it in in the Western Cape. It's amazing to me how that narrative is getting through in surprising areas, in Limpopo, in rural Mpumalanga. That message is getting through, and it's a much more motivating message, and it's going to translate into support of the polls. I'm optimistic, Lindsay. Do you think uh, Kasati will form its own party? Do you think the ANC will split? And, of course, that will help you. Yeah, look, a three-party system would be fantastic, wouldn't it? I mean, we can read the tea leaves if you like, but I, I think what that Kasatu, Kasatu's position in that tripartite governing alliance, in my opinion, is 
the factor that's holding back South Africa the most in terms of uh, labor laws, in terms of their particular brand of politics. I think perhaps if there was more fluidity in that alliance, it, it, it would be helpful. But the important thing is we don't spend our time worrying about what's happening in the tripartite alliance. We just try and drive home that message that we're a better government. And I think that's working. Do you think that one day, we'll get on to your personal story in a moment, but uh, let's just end the political story for now. Do you think one day you will not be the shadow uh, trade and industry minister, you'll be the actual trade and industry minister and you'll be representing South Africa in Washington and places like that in your lifetime? Do you think that? I think it's a definite possibility. The, the DA, in my opinion, is going to be at the center of the political movement that first takes power from the ANC nationally. I'm not saying that it will necessarily be the DA in its current form, but you know the last few years have shown that politics can be more fluid than people will expect. Cope had an, an, a great showing at last year's election. Unfortunately, they... they, they it's fallen apart, though. Yeah, they, they, they didn't take advantage of that. But uh, they demonstrated that certainly millions of black voters were prepared to vote for another party. And that's the kind of thing that, that, that the other opposition parties can capitalize on. Where will those millions go now? Will they go back to the ANC or will they go to the DA or wherever? I think there's a shift amongst especially younger voters towards the DA. And I think if in the medium term, if that's combined with, with these young leaders that the DA is developing, emerging to the top of the party, and the DA is starting to represent the hopes and aspirations of young people from across the country, I think that's a killer combination. And I think it, it, it bodes well for our electoral prospects, which bodes well for democracy in South Africa. Well, it's very encouraging that someone like you wants to go into politics from investment banking because, you, as I've said, you might be giving up some, a certain amount of riches. Uh, you also do something in your spare time which is called surfing and you've combined that with your travel uh, aspirations to visit every country in, in Africa. Tell us about that. I, ever since I, I came to UCT, I, I used to surf around the, the, the peninsula and we, we ended up getting more adventurous and traveling. Nautical places coast. like that. Yeah. yeah, and then perhaps the, the east coast and up to Namibia and Mozambique. And we were, many years ago now, we were sitting in Namibia having surfed a spot called Guns, which is near Swakopmund, and thinking this is a really great wave. Like, I wonder what's, what's, what's going on north of here. What about Angola? Yeah. And the seed was planted then. Um, a few years later, it became a kind of overriding ambition to go and see the coast. So we thought, why don't we try and put together the first surf trip to do the entire coast uh, from South Africa to Europe? Uh, and two friends and I bought a old Toyota Land Cruiser, which was almost as old as we were, and uh, put some boards on the roof and, and drove into Angola and didn't stop until we got to London. It, uh, it was meant to take six months, we thought, and ended up taking a year and a half. Uh -huh. But it was an incredible experience. And, I mean, aside from the, the, uh, the amount of fun we had, it was, it, it, it was really instructive in terms of the potential of Africa. I think South Africa, according to many South Africans, is an island. We, we, we feel perhaps closer to Europe or, or um, we certainly don't feel linked to the continent. And I, I, I think both in terms of 
of, of the travel potential in Africa, but also the economic potential, our, our future as South Africa is linked to the rest of the continent. And the more we can open our minds to what's going on in our northern neighbours, the better for, for, for us as a country. Well, very much so, because South African GDP came out yesterday, and I think it was 2.6%, um, 2.8%, something like that. But anyway, I mean, a really pathetic number, given what is happening in the rest of the emerging world, for example, China, Singapore, Brazil, Russia, India, etc. They're, they're all pushing double-digit uh, GDP numbers. And the rest of Africa as well is doing better than us, albeit off a low base. Why is South Africa doing so badly, do you think? And what can we do to boost it? We've got 25.3% unemployment, uh, Tim, and a growth rate of sub-3% per year. It just doesn't add up, does it? Yeah, well, firstly, from the African perspective, I, I think it's, it's a significant and often unrecognized failure of the Mbeki administration to build South African links into African markets. I mean, those growth rates you're talking about, they're replicated in our neighbors to the north of us. Yet mm. the transport and logistic links from South Africa to our northern neighbors <coughs> are all but broken down. Um, Instead of allowing this decline, the ANC government should have been using its, its foreign service to drive trade into Africa and should have been ensuring that the logistic links from South Africa to the north are optimal, are operating and allow trade to flow into the rest of the continent. I think there's a realization from people like my, the minister who I shadow, Rob Davies, that Africa does represent an enormous uh, potential market for us. I mean, there's 700 million people in sub-Saharan Africa alone. Mm. And if you look at the whole continent, it's over a billion. Unfortunately, I think it's too late, though. In many ways, South Africa has been outmaneuvered by Brazil, by China, by France and other European countries. I think 10 years ago, we should have had a deliberate strategy to access those markets. We've squandered a lot of that potential, but the moves that some of the moves that are in place now will allow us to regain some of it. I think, uh, though, it's, it's one of the untold stories of failure. When you travelled through Africa, which particular areas excited you economically? I'm not talking about surfing now and, uh, and, and lovely bars and things like that. I'm talking about which areas did you think that could be sort of nascent economic hubs, if you like? Look, the first one on our doorstep is Angola. It's, uh, I've, I've never been in, I've travelled to China a few times, but I've never seen the, the, the obvious pace of economic growth uh, you know, so viscerally as in Angola. You, oil, of course, oil money. Yeah, o a lot of that is oil and diamonds, but it's also a, a market that's been suppressed for a long time. That's 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 finally unshackled and you know starting to get on the consumer bandwagon. You talk about the Angola situation, and I read about Angola, and I see two different economies. I mean, one that is extremely poor. I mean, probably one of the poorest in Africa, and yet you've got a capital which is probably one of the world's most expensive because of that oil money. You go into a hotel there, you're going to spend 150 rand for a beer, for example. Maybe you're, you're confusing oil money with actual real economic growth. No, absolutely. But, but the, 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 the problems in Angola are linked to their political issues. I think if you, if you, if, if you accept my point that uh, growing democracy in South Africa is the most important thing we can do, then the counterfactual applies as well. A, a, a one-party state such as the one they have there is going to impoverish the population at the benefits of uh, the people that are connected to the government. And Angola is a case in point. However, the... You know what, what's what's bolstered them is, as you say, the oil money and the and the the diamond money. If you threw into the mix uh, 
perhaps democratic political reform, I think you'd see that wealth being spread through the population a lot more quickly. And obviously, I mean, Africa has huge problems related to, to, to politics. But, you know, if you look at where we are now as a continent compared to, say, five years ago, peace has really broken out across the continent. And, and with that, a certain amount of political stability. If that's then combined with political reform, which allows democracy to develop, then you're going to watch, you're going to see those 700 million consumers actually start to realize their potential. And then South Africa needs to take advantage of, of our position. As it stands right now, if that happens, we're going to be left out. The piece of the puzzle that needs to be slotted in, of course, is Zimbabwe, which formerly was one of the powerhouses economically and agriculturally, uh, more to the point, in Africa. Once that country changes, of course, then you've got Angola, South Africa, uh, Zimbabwe, Zambia with the copper price at all-time record highs, Mozambique doing well as well, starting to do well. We've got a, quite a powerhouse here. Absolutely. I mean, and, and obviously, the, the, if, if, if you ask your average South African to assess Taubenbeke's legacy, they would say his two biggest failings are probably on HIV, AIDS and Zimbabwe. So it's a real tragedy that we haven't um, managed to use our diplomatic clout to help accelerate the turnaround in Zimbabwe. And I think in many ways, uh, Jacob Zuma has also been a disappointment. He came, he came to power on a, on a ticket where he, where he was going to be prepared to drive change in, in Zim. And I think he's, he's been disappointing in that regard. The one when you ask about uh, potential in the rest of the continent, I must just mention Ghana because I was there relatively recently. At the oh. time when I went a few years ago, I thought this is a country with everything. It's got natural resources. They've just discovered oil. It's got wildlife history. It's a really beautiful country. And importantly for us, it's also Anglophone because we are in a way culturally at a disadvantage in, in, fr in former Francophone countries. But the reason I went back to, to Ghana recently is because one of our sister parties is the um, NPP, who've just been voted out of power. Right. So what you have in Ghana is a very rare African example of a, country, of, a, of a political party losing at the ballot box and then graciously stepping back and allowing another party to take over. I think Ghana in that way is a shining example to the rest of the continent. And the more that can happen, the more Africa can start realizing its potential. Surfing, tell us about that. Yeah, I, I, I don't get as much time to surf as, as I used to. But your goal is, I think, to surf the whole of the continent, the whole of the well, continent's I, I, coastline. I've, I've probably surfed most places on the continent where you can surf. My goal is actually to visit every African country. I mean, the one great advantage to doing a trip such as the one I did yeah. as a surfer is that it's an extremely, there's an extremely fraternal relationship amongst surfers, especially in areas where it's not too crowded. I mean, you, you, you would never call the relationship of surfers at Jeffreys Bay fraternal because you have a limited resource with far too many surfers from around the world trying to surf it. Yeah. But certainly the places up the west coast to the, um, to the north of us uh, there's really just a handful of surfers in each country. But as soon as you're there as a surfer, you know, doors are opened, you're in the water together, and you, I, I made some incredible friends. Um, just some examples, there's a, there's, a, there's a guy who we met in Cameroon who's actually, he, he, he's of pygmy stock. He's this, one of the shortest guys I've ever seen. And he's, he's, uh, we, found, we, we, we came across the, the village he was in, and he's surfing some board that somebody left there a few years ago that's totally broken in, uh, in a few places and but he surfs really well so my friend who I was with uh, Michael Sternberg he phoned some of his contacts back here and arranged for um, 
sport and surf in, in town here to send him a new board and they actually ended up sending him two hmm. so uh, Peggy the pygmy surfer in Cameroon now has new boards courtesy of sport and surf Fantastic. You're, of course, at the age of whatever you are, 31, 32 years old, you are, of course, going to get poached by the corporate world. You've been in the corporate world. You've gone into politics. You're getting great exposure from shows like this and from your travels around Africa. And you're going to sell your soul to the corporate devil, aren't you, um, Tim? Like you say, I've been there before. I'm... um I'm interested now in, in, in making Helen Ziller's dream become a reality and helping to do that wherever I can. You know, it's, it's, it's so inspiring. If that unravels, though, Tim, are you going to go back? I personally think that it's going to take two or three generations for the ANC's domination to be broken. And so you'll probably lose heart within that time frame that I've just sketched out. So will you go back to the corporate world should that happen? I mean, the problem with politics is it's impossible to, to, to read the future. You know, when I joined the party five years ago, we were the official opposition and we controlled a handful of councils. Two years later, we won the city of Cape Town. Last year, we won the province. The DS got an extraordinary amount of momentum. Hmm. I mean, if you told me when I joined that we would one day be running two of the three spheres of government in Cape Town, I would say, I, I don't think that's possible, but we did it. If that momentum continues, then I don't think I'm going to have to make the choice of going back into the corporate world. Um, so for now, for the foreseeable future, I'm involved and I'm happy to be here. And I think prospects are good for us continuing that momentum do you go around schools do you go back to hilton for example and, and talk to those young lads and say to them you can go into banking you can go into financial services you can go into medicine or law but politics is your duty to go in order to take south africa out of the dark ages and it has been in i mean these ages that we're in now are dark and they were darker before but we need to grow with new young fresh blood in politics do you spread that message i, I haven't been back to Hilton, perhaps I should, but I get I get it. A lot of people come to us as the party and a lot of them come to me. And I think it's important for talented young people to get into politics. But probably the first message I would spread to them is is, is, is to consider creating your own business, to to become an entrepreneur. I, and certainly the, the, the friends that I have that have done their own thing they are some of the most fulfilled people I know. Mm. They're creating jobs, they're making themselves money, and they're growing the South African economy in a hands-on way. Yes. I, I would probably recommend that as the first choice for young South Africans. So and then, creating an entrepreneurial middle class in South Africa, just like in India and other countries. I think it's one of the most important things we should be doing. And then if, if a few people want to get involved in politics and they're, and they're competent and, they, and they, uh, they've got passion, then certainly they should come and, and get involved with the DA, I would say. But if I went to a school, I would say you, you need to seriously consider entrepreneurship as a career option. Tim, thanks so much for your time this evening. That's Tim Harris, who is the Shadow Trade and Industry Minister. That podcast was proudly brought to you in association with sharenet.co.za. Visit strictlybusinesspodcast.com and subscribe to receive exclusive content straight to your inbox.